Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another Kraken installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in New York series, where, as if you've been following, uh, congratulations, you need an award. Uh, if you haven't been, welcome, welcome. Uh, but uh, our next guest um, is none other than Manish Bot. He is the founder, or what co founder rather, and CEO of HelloPlum.com. Manish, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy, uh, happy to be here. No, it's great that you great that you Um So listen, um, you've got a very interesting background. I've had a chance to meet you and and really learn about what you guys are doing and how you're kind of changing, uh, you know, your customers' world. Um, but uh, for our viewers around the world, uh, Manish, uh, you haven't had that privilege. Uh, why don't you give us the bit about the origin story between you know of Hello Plum and how this whole thing came about? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That. We actually, Hello Plum is our website name. The company's name is Plum Life, so, um, uh, so, so it's a little bit, um, a little bit disconnect there. But we like Hello Plum; it's very friendly and approachable, which is really what we're trying to do with insurance, right? We're trying to make it much more friendly uh, and approachable than it has been for the last uh, two hundred years, let's say. Um, so, you know, we're we're a bunch of co-founders. There's four of us, and we, you know, we've been in the insurance industry twenty plus years. And we've been making trouble for 20 plus years, um, but we've never been happy with the way technology works. It's still a very paper-based uh, industry. Uh, technology is poor, and 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 what uh, what Plum Life does is it uh, it brings uh, a lot of modern tools. You know, we like to think of Plum Life as kind of like the Shopify for life insurance agents. Uh, we give them a platform to help them have a modern, uh, effective digital business in today's world. You know, where clients don't necessarily want agents to come into their households anymore, but but they still need that advice and help. Uh, so, so fantastic. So it's it's life insurance. Um, life insurance is has kind of been seen as like a grudge purchase. <laughs> and it's yeah, like yeah. it's like I'm paying money. It's like car insurance. It's because it's like it could happen. You know. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm interested to maybe double click on what you said there around like it hasn't really changed too much. Like it's always been a grudge purchase. It's always been pretty paper based. It's always been the way that it's been for so long. And the companies in the insurance space are massive. Like you know, that's better than anyone. Uh, farmers insurance, these sorts of companies, they're absolutely huge. Um, and so I'm curious to maybe um, uh, double click on the idea of like innovation and in insurance in the insurance industry. Why hasn't it innovated to the extent that you guys um, are, have innovated? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a great question. I mean, we used to ask that all the time and then we, you know, we just decided to do it ourselves rather than to figure out why these big companies, because I, I spent 20 years at MetLife kind of trying to push that 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 uh, snowball uphill or whatever you know whatever the expression is, um, but I think it has to do with just um, it's a very careful industry, right? So the industry doesn't like to make mistakes because they're making promises. You know, certainly in life insurance, we're saying, hey, we're going to give you this 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 policy where if you if if you if you die, we're going to pay you half a million dollars, we're going to pay you a million dollars, we're going to pay you several million dollars, and so it's an industry built around kind of avoiding risk, uh, even though that's what they do. Um, and, and I think that just permeates the culture. Um, and so nobody wants to take a chance. Nobody wants to make a mistake. And I think that's been a, a big reason why these large companies just ha haven't changed very much. Um, and to your point, it is still a grudge purchase, right? Certainly life insurance, even more than auto insurance. You know, nobody, nobody wants to think about, you know, passing away. Nobody wants to, to think about that. And that's why agents are so important. You know, they get 
they get a bit of a bad reputation, but we think of them as the heroes uh, because they're the ones out there making sure families are protected. So how big is this industry? I mean, one of the numbers that you told me about was like $12 billion of uh, life insurance is sold every year. Um, That's a big number. Um, Yeah. What else do we need to know about the size of the opportunity here? Yeah, there's, there's, there's over 12 billion uh, every year being sold. And, you know, there's also over 400,000 licensed life insurance agents in this, in the U S. So that's a lot of people. Um, you know, it's one of the, one of the, the biggest professions out there. Um, so it's, it's pretty massive in that regard. Um, uh, so, so if you think about just, you know, how much is being sold and by who it's being sold by, you know, of that, of that premium, almost all of that is being sold by those 400,000 agents. People don't really buy it directly. Uh, and some, some companies in the last you know, five, six years have tried to get into that space. And it has been with mixed, mixed, mixed efficacy at best. Okay, cool. Um, so who's your customer here? Is it the consumer who is looking to uh, buy insurance? Is it the intermediary channel? Like walk us yeah. through who the customer is, who are you trying to solve or add value yeah. to? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, our, our, our first and foremost customer is, is the agent uh, who's, who's trying to, to help his customers or her customers uh, get insurance. So that's, that's the way we think of it. We do keep that end customer in mind because uh, we want them to be happy too. We want them to enjoy both the relationship with their advisor and also their relationship with, with the companies that, that are actually making the, the promises uh, of insurance. Um, but first and foremost, it's that life insurance agent. That's our our primary customer. And what have you built solutions wise for yeah. them or what, or what's the problem there? I mean, if it's a, if there's 400,000 brokers, let's just say um, in the U S like what, what are they, what, what are they, what's keeping them up at night? Yeah. It's a couple things, right? I mean uh, the first, the first thing uh, is that their, their life is very difficult, right? I mean, you know, th- this is a job where, you know, if you look at the, the movies or something, life insurance agents aren't always portrayed as like, you know, firefighters and policemen, right? They're portrayed as, as, as the people you want to avoid. Um, you know, Groundhog Day comes to mind. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but, uh, you know, Bill Murray has a life insurance agent friend that's always hassling them. So they're dealing with that perception. They're dealing with a lot of rejection uh, from, from, uh, from clients that, you know, hang up on them or don't want to hear from them. So it's a tough job. And then on top of that, the industry, the life insurance companies have given them the worst technology there is. You know, I mean, if you're a life insurance agent, you're using six or seven different systems with with poor functionality, you know, poor reliability to do your job, which I just told you was really hard to start with. Uh, so that's that's the problem we solve is we kind of make that that part of their life a lot easier. It's a it's an easy, simple platform that they can uh, interact with their clients and, and get everything done in one place. You know, right now, you know, if you're not working with Plum Life, you're going to five or six different places, five or six different passwords and different ways of doing things. With Plum Life, it's all one platform. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. Um, there's also there, another thing that, that has really emerged in the last three, four years with COVID, which is life insurance agents went from kind of sitting uh, in a, someone's house, uh, and making a sale, which, you know, it's hard to get in the house, but once you get in the house, you make the sale to doing it all digitally. Now, you know, nobody wants anyone in their house anymore. Um, and so they're doing it like this on a zoom session if they're lucky. Uh, but more often than not, it's just phone calls and email. And, 
uh, as, as if you're anything like me, when I see a phone number, I don't recognize, I don't answer. Mm. Um, so their lives have become much more difficult. And that's where Plum Life comes in. We give them a platform that allows them to, to not only work digitally with their clients, but we help them nurture. We have a lot of analytics and machine learning in the back end. That, you know, if I'm trying to work with Matt, Matt um, I'm going to be more effective if I use the Plum platform because I'm going to talk to Matt at the right time with the right message. Mm-hmm. So how does it actually work? So let's just say I'm yep. I'm Matt Brown, the broker, yep. for instance. Yep. So um, I want to sell insurance in the Denver area, for instance. Like when, at what point do I engage with with you? Um, and like, how do you actually help me do a better job at managing leads? And you know, yep, great question. It? Yeah. So if you're Matt Brown in the Denver area, um, the first thing you do is you go to Hello Plum. Uh, dot com and you you sign up and it's literally takes five minutes uh you have your life insurance license so you give us that information very simple process we get you appointed with your with your carrier and we also give you a dashboard with a bunch of tools so we'll give you a dashboard that allows you to run quotes uh we'll give you your own personal uh life insurance landing page that you can use in your social media you could put in the comments section down below here you can uh, you can put it anywhere you want on Instagram, Facebook. When it, when when at any time one of your clients goes there, uh, they will see. You know, you'll put up your picture, you'll write a blurb, maybe you'll put your calendar link on there, and so now you're already become digital. Uh, and anytime anyone uses that, that credit will go to you. You'll be informed. Hey, somebody just started an application. Um, so there's those tools. Uh, also. Uh, if you do put a lead in there, let's say you have a list of 100 clients that, that you think are good for life insurance, you can upload them. Uh, we'll send them out a marketing piece that you select or one that we recommend. And then we'll also nurture that client, right? So you know, maybe they don't open the first email. Maybe they open the third email. Maybe they start the application but don't finish. We'll not only reach out to that client, but we'll text you and say, hey, Matt, your client just started the application but didn't finish. This is the best time to call them, uh, click here. Uh, and these are things, you know, n- that agents need to do now in a post COVID world. Uh, you know, in the past it was just, let me get into the house and finish it. Right. And now mm-hmm. I need that help. Um, so, so Manish, basically what it sounds like is an end to end insurance enablement platform that allows brokers or insurance brokers to sell remotely. Would that be a nice solution? Yes. I don't know why I didn't start with that, but that's a great way to put it. <laughs> that's why so you're you're good at this. I know exactly right. So that's why I'm here. That's why I have a day job, yeah. dude. <laughs> I'm in the summation business. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like what success have you had? I mean, um what kind of numbers are you um are you seeing from your broker base? Yeah. 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 We try to be a little a little careful, but we're happy to share some numbers. So we launched literally one year and a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we started with seven agents, and we now have over 3,300 agents, uh, and, and just every day, more and more agents are signing up. We're seeing you know, you know, hundreds and hundreds every month. So that's one of our, our big success stories and something we're very, very proud of. Uh, I think another success story is the agents on the platform love it. You know, our NPS is you know, well into the 60s, which is a net promoter score. Um, so it's going to, how many people, uh, give you an eight, nine or 10, um, uh, you know, versus how many give you a zero, one, two, three, four. Um, so, uh, we have a very high net promoter score and the revenues, you know, sales, we don't, we don't like to talk too much about that, but there's, you know, millions of dollars of business flowing through the platform. So, mm-hmm. um, those are the things we're most proud of is how many agents are signing up and how 
how how strongly they tell us they love the platform. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's uh, the customer's only truth, right? Or in the, exactly. at the end of the day. Um, so what I would love to talk about uh, a bit more around like some of the founder stuff for other founders yeah. out there. So it's like <clears throat> someone once said to me, um, it was Howard Saxton, also a very successful entrepreneur. And he said, you know what? People who are sitting in corporate jobs, if they are, uh, if they can't figure out what they want to do, and we're talking about like corporate people becoming entrepreneurs, which is what you yeah. guys have done. Yeah. Um, and he was like, you know, if they can't figure out what makes them happy, they must learn to be happy in their misery. Um, and it was a very <laughs> interesting, it was an interesting point because it's kind of like you guys are in your forties. This is like you, you know, it's your first real startup that's hit yeah. some kind of you know success. Um, and so it's an interesting conversation for me to have because most of the guys I talk to have founded multiple companies and, and or like they're young or whatever the case might be. Um, and so um, what's your advice to or what have you learned basically about the process of becoming going from a corporate person who wasn't yep. exactly fulfilled into the startup spec? Because it's like it's worlds apart, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think I think you know a couple things that that come to mind. One of the things that I I always knew to be true, and I, I got it from uh, my father, is you know whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Um, so that's kind of the one of the first things is is you know if you believe you can do it, that's prerequisite. If you don't think you can do it, don't do it um, because you're going to be right either way. Um, so I, I think that's a, a big lesson that people should have. Right? If they if they feel like they can do it. That's probably to me, you know, almost enough to do it. Um, but if if you're hesitant, then really, you know, listen to that too and figure out why. Um, the other thing is don't don't take other people's assessments. You know, like uh, I'll tell you this this one story. So I'd left Mount Life in 2014, and I wanted to do a startup. I had this great idea, and uh, I had I, I didn't never did the you know the VC thing, and I met with the one VC uh, in New York City. He loved the idea. He said it was great. Uh, and you know, he could really see them backing it, but you know, I'm a corporate guy, you're, I'm going to start this. And within a year, I'm going to get a job offer and leave it behind. And so he wasn't going to invest in me. Um, so I, 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 you know, I could have let that help me back, but I just said, whatever, that's one guy's opinion. And, you know, it is, uh, that was 2014. So it's almost nine years later now I'm still doing this. So <laughs> I'm happy he was wrong. Uh, but I think, you know, don't let other people, you know, tell you what you can or can't do. If you, you know, 
don't let people tell you you fit into certain mold and you have to be 25 and sleep and stay up all night working. You know, don't, don't buy into any of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I had uh, at this conversation uh, with another founder, Frank Arellano, runs Revolve. Like they've got a whole bunch of champagne problems, like scaling beyond belief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, and he was like, you know, I've got it. I've got a. I've got investors. I've got advisors. I've got it. You know, I got feedback from customers, and I got. And I said to him, like, how do you actually decide, like, which advice to heed and which advice to ignore? To your point, you know, it's like well, yeah. everybody has an opinion. And I've found that if you have too many opinions, you kind of lose your sense of your own opinion. And what you feel intuitively is the best solution or strategy or decision to make in, in a particular context. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, um, what role has intuition played? Um, obviously, intuition was, I would imagine, like quite a big driver in you starting this business in the first place. And now you, you're obviously doing, you know, multiples uh in millions per year in ARR. Um so what role has intuition played in your success? Yeah. A, a huge role, right? Um because like you said there's so many different opinions out there. We you know we have you know multiple investors and we have uh you know other advisors and, and of, of course we have big business partners that are using the platform that think you should, you know, Hey, I love your platform. You really should do X, Y, and Z. Um, to me, actually, the more opinions we get, actually, it makes it easier for me uh, and for our team, because the more opinions we have, the more it's like, well, I can't possibly follow all of them. So let's just do what we think is right. And that's, you know, that comes back to, to the intuition. I would say, you know, intuition, you know, for me is just kind of code for like experience. Like I've done this, you know, a long time and I've recognized things. Intuition is just kind of like an unconscious recognition of, you know, a past experience, you know, manifesting itself forward, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, but, but I think it's, it's, it's huge. You have to, you have to do what you think it's right. Not to mention, right. If, if you're going to get something wrong, I'd rather, I'd rather be my, my thing than someone else's thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, quickly on funding, you guys uh, closed a, $5.3 million funding round um, back in March. Um, curious to have a discussion with you about funding in the current market. You're obviously going to probably go into another raise sometime next year. Startups yeah. are always raising money. Um, and so I have this as an ongoing segment about raising capital. So, um, you know, like, what did you, what have you learned? I mean, you were raising money when the market wasn't exactly booming. Yeah. Like, what did you learn about raising money uh, in the market the way that it is right now? Yeah, I think I think um, what I learned is, you know, first of all, you have, like you said, you have to always be uh, marketing, you know, yourself and your company. That's everybody says it, um, but it's like uh, it's so true. Um, you have to constantly be reaching out to people, uh, constantly be telling your story, uh, so that so that when the time does come, you're not like starting from scratch and, and figuring out where things are. So that's you know one thing I I knew, but I I know more than ever. Um, you know, it's interesting for me, like we started, we started raising money before kind of everything went difficult. Um, I haven't, I haven't noticed a difference in the ability to connect with VCs and to, to tell our pitch, to hear their interest. Um, so to me, I haven't really experienced, you know, quote unquote, a downturn yet. I'm looking to see what will happen next year where we're going to raise. Um, but one thing we're doing very much is, is we're we're not waiting until we need to raise to have conversations. We have, 
you know, pretty long list of people that, that we've told our story to twice. We've told it once, we've given them an update. We'll do another update at the end of the year. And they seem to like that. Um, and it, it keeps it kind of fresh in their mind. Um, obviously it's important that each of those updates is, is, is better than the last. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit risky, right. In some senses, because, you know, you, you're kind of telling them where you've been. Uh, so they expect you to go further. What we don't do is we don't tell them, you know, where we need to be for the next round, right. We're a little bit, you know, we, we keep that close. So how do you know how much to raise? So do you raise to hit a certain number? Yeah, I, I think for us, it's, it's, it comes down to the, to the what are we going to do with the money, right? And so, you know, we and how fast we want to grow. So for us, it's, it's, it's a little bit of, a, of, a, of an equation. It's mathematical more than it is art. It's more science. It's, you know, hey, here's where we are. This is what we need to grow in sales. Uh, this is what we need to grow in profit margin. It's going to take these eight initiatives and these types of employees and, and this type of, you know, maybe third party expense. And that's how we get to a number. And then of course, cushion, because <laughs> whatever you think it is, it's going to be more, um, right? And Just like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like obviously valuations aren't necessarily going to be what they were, uh, unless you jasper.ai, um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so um, how caught up should a startup founder be on valuation? Like if you were getting, I don't know, let's just say a 10x multiple and now you're getting a 6x for the same thing, you know, you also have the luxury of saying no. Right, right. I mean, you have the luxury of saying no unless, unless you're going to run out of cash, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't get too caught up in valuation. I mean... Uh, especially if it's your first one, right? Like this is our first one. It's like, you know, it's more important to be successful and get a good exit, I think, than it is how much the valuation was. And did you end up with, you know, you know, 14% instead of 11% or 11% instead of 8%, right? Because then you build credibility. Uh, and, and I think it just makes it, you know, uh, much better the second time around. If you're, if you're planning a second and third time, I know you've done like 87 of them, right? <laughs> thank you thank you Manish <laughs> I didn't want anyone no. to know but now the cat's no. out the bag uh, no, I think it was four, 14 you said I forget yeah it was four, a lot. I started 14 with uh, 14. The, like right. yeah I've sold two like the rest are all like dun, dun, dun. yeah yeah but I you know now that you've had two I mean I think people look at you differently right I mean well, Steve Blank said to me the other day he says you know what we have he said to me I was yeah, trying to not mess this up but he was like He's like, you know, in Silicon Valley, we what we have a word for a startup founder whose business failed, um, and I'm like, yeah, what, what's what's that word? And he was like, experienced. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, yeah, and it was an interesting point, right? Because I I use this acronym QBE, so like qualified by experience. Like, no, there's no book that's going to teach you what I know about building a business. You know what I mean? Unless I write yeah. some some version of that, <laughs> um, and I don't have time. I got like three books I, I want to write, but I don't have time to do it. Um, and so, um, yeah, just to maybe stay with this idea of exiting, right? Because if you you know, I think. F- I don't know. Like I think failure teaches you more than success does in many cases. Um, and I like, and I've learned in the process of 25 years of building businesses, like I've learned what type of founder I am. You know, you get one hit wonders my mentor, he owns like th- hundreds of businesses. Um, and he, he was telling me the story about this one entrepreneur and he built this business and the stars aligned 
and he just sold this thing for like billions, right? He was minted. And two years later, he met my mentor for coffee, walks into his boardroom, sits down, and this guy's just like depressed. And my Mm. mentor, yeah, my mentor said to him, he says like, dude, like, why are you depressed? Um, And he said, and maybe not in these words, but what he said to him was that he finally realized that he's a one-hit wonder, he, he doesn't well this is legit people don't think yeah. like about like what happens after the exit and i interviewed bo burling and we literally wrote the book on this it's called finish big um, right. like you know when you exit a business or a founder who's you know sold a business like like dude like eight or nine like 80 or 90 percent of them go into some form of depression because mm. while while they're rich or whatever like they don't think about what that next move is um, and so when they exit the business, they're no longer in control. They become an employee overnight and suddenly things suck. They've lost their sense of meaning and purpose. Um, and so we often don't think about exiting until it's almost too late. You know what I mean? Right. Like, or, right. or it happens out of surprise and I, I'm not really prepared. I haven't got my due diligence documents in place or maybe I'm not, I haven't built the thing to sell. It's not really, it's not a sellable asset just yet. You know, maybe you haven't done you know, you haven't documented things or the numbers don't make sense or the story's not right. You've had a bad quarter or two bad quarters, um, you know, and that affects valuation. So there's lots of things that go in there, but I'm curious to get your view because you touched on the word exit. Yeah. When when do you start thinking about it? Because do you think about it like when you hit 5 million ARR or do you start thinking about it from day one? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't, I think about it all the time in the sense that I always like, I'd like our business to be clean. Right. And so I don't want to have to scramble for things because, you know, when we went through that that second fundraise fundraise, everything was pretty buttoned up and it was awesome. Um, And so we've we try to keep things buttoned up. So from that regard, I kind of keep it in mind. But in terms of actually exiting, I'm not I don't think about like, hey, let's are we ready yet now? We're just not there. And I don't know when we're going to be there, honestly. Um, Um. I, I think if you're worried about that, you know, you might, it might lead you astray, at least in the stage where it, you know, we're just, it's just, let's focus on making this business successful. Um, there's a favorite quote of mine from, uh, from Victor Frankel. I don't know if you heard of it yeah, was in, yeah. in the concentration camps, but he said, you know, success like happiness is something you can never pursue. It's something that results from doing things. It's not something you aim for. It's something that happens. And, and I always like that. So let's, you know, like we can try to keep focused on just making this business better every day. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when, when it's time, the exit will come. We'll know. Yeah. Um, so question about partnerships, because you touched on it before. You're working with some uh, some partners. Um, yeah. Who are you working with in terms of strategic partnerships? And what um, or how much has that contributed you, to your ability to stay, to scale? Oh, it's been huge. I mean, some of our strategic partnerships are reinsurance companies, um, as well as as carriers. You know, our, our carrier, we have a few carriers. One of our best carriers is, is uh, SBLI of Massachusetts. Um, and so them having a lot of resources and experience has made it easy for us. Um, you know, there's a lot we don't have to focus on because as a partner, they do so much. Um, so, so without that, I think it would be, it would be very difficult, especially in, in the insurance industry, right? I mean, there's a lot of barriers to entry if you wanted to do everything yourself. Uh, you do need partners. Uh, and I think you find that a lot of the insure techs have, have some type of partners. 
Mm-hmm. Do you find that corporates are open to working with startups, especially when it comes to innovative-led startups? So, um, you know, I use the analogy of dinosaurs trying to climb trees. It's like you can try and build it yourself, right? right. And you can try and like create like an innovation lab and say you're innovating yeah. and, you know, try and suffer, then try and navigate and avoid the corporate inertia and the antibodies of innovation. Because yep. nobody, everybody likes to change. They don't actually want to change. Hence, why they're a dinosaur that can't climb a tree. You know, so they like to talk about the tree and how beautiful yep. it looks. And we could be like that, but then they <laughs> practically like the, <laughs> like they can't actually get there. You know, yeah. well they could, but there's you know a thousand other projects, and it's just like I got other priorities. I got shareholders, and actually, you know what? We'll just keep talking about innovation and get another speaker yeah. in to tell us how amazing we could be. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think you hit something. There's one of my mentors used to always say, when all is said and done, more is usually said than done. And uh, I think that describes you know, the insurance industry pretty well. Uh, I think they've gone through stages, though. Like, I, If you ask me like 10 years ago, most large insurance companies were all about, hey, we need to innovate. Let's create an innovation lab. Let's create a separate team. Let's do that. And I think, I think now many, if not most insurance companies, actually have parts of the organizations dedicated to working with insured techs. And, and to some extent, it's almost like they've, I wouldn't say given up, but they've accepted that the insured techs will, will move faster, quicker. And they need, their, their goal is now, how do I work with them? Not how do I do what they do? Um, which is great for us, right? Because, you know, as an insured tech, it just makes it easier to have conversations. So we find, we find it, it very, you know, inviting space to have conversations with large carriers. Now, Execution is another story because to your point, you know, they've got 50 projects and a limited IT budget and a limited IT bandwidth. And it's always like, well, we can't, you know, we can't do anything quickly, which is, you know, quickly for them is less than a year, uh, which, you know, for a startup quickly is like a month. Um, <laughs> it's a day. So, it's, a day. Yeah, it's a day. What are you right. talking about? <laughs> right. Exactly. Good point. Yeah, it's a day, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Never confuse a short line of sight for a short distance, yep. right? Fair, uh, fair point. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the word scale. So curious about what it means to you to scale responsibly because I, and especially when you're on this funding hype cycle thing, you know, yeah. it's like, cool, we must just keep raising money. And, you know, we think we're product market fit and, you know, we kind of, we think we know the unit economics and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you raise money, you put a dollar into the engine and you still get a dollar out or less. You haven't quite figured right. it out. Yeah, you're not quite there yep. yet, yep. even though your run rate's going in the right direction. Um, and so anyway, so you're raising money to scale. Um, and I think there's good growth and there's bad growth. Um, and I'm curious to get your view, Manish, on what does it mean to scale responsibly? Yeah, I think I think scaling is one of the hardest parts of, of this journey that I found, uh, especially from early days. And, you know, I'm talking like first year or so where you do so much with brute force. You know, it's like here's an opportunity. We want to get it because we want to grow. So we'll figure out a way to do it, even though it's not a repeatable way. So we're, we've done a lot of things that that have like okay now that we have volume that's just killing us, um, you know I I have I still have weekends doing things I'm like I can't believe I'm doing this like we've got to figure out how to how to scale this so to speak so for me scaling responsibly is it's finding that balance between kind of growing because you need to grow and growing because it's a good business decision in the long run. Um, that's been the challenge, you know, there's so many opportunities where 
if I said, hey, in the long run, is this sustainable? No, we should probably not do it. Uh, and yet, you know, at least early on, and to some extent, even now, we're like, we're going to do it anyways. Um, so it's, it's scaling responsibly is really being disciplined about that or starting to get more disciplined about what you start, to, what you do the hard way versus what you do the right way. Mm. That makes sense. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, just very quickly about your team. Uh, there's obviously four of you. It's interesting because it's like you have one founder or two, but rarely, rarely do you have four. Um, how do you govern decision making? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, is it consensus, consensus driven amongst, uh, you know, multiple founders like that? Like, how do you, you know, yeah. cause often, like, how do you accommodate differing opinions? Obviously, yep. no, it's not just two, it's twice that amount. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a lot of arguing. <laughs> it's a lot of arguing and, and, and we're all so into the business that it, it, it almost feels personal at times because we're so passionate, but at the end of the day, it's really majority opinion. Um, but we always let everybody be heard. We always kind of get everybody's opinion, uh, but we're not consensus. We, we, that's, that's not, uh, what we're trying to get to. Um, although I would say 95% of what we do is ends up being everybody's on board. Um, and then 5% of the time it's like majority opinion. Um, and you know, I don't think we've ever been 50, 50 split. Uh, if we are, I think I'm the tiebreaker. So <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. It's my opinion, dude. Like uh, I'm yeah. done. We're, we're going there. I hear you, but no, I don't We're not doing yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so, I mean, so you're obviously a visionary and, and you're kind of solving something that's really valuable for within the insurance uh, sector. So I'm curious to uh, ask you this, like, what is, what is your vision for this business? Like, what is the contribution at the end of the day that you're looking to see uh, within this uh, broker channel? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking for, for agents to feel empowered about their about their lives and their businesses. I mean, at the end of the day, that's how we measure success is the agents using our platform. Do they feel like they have a business partner that's that's aligned with them, that's trying to make them more successful? Um, that's that's what we're focused on. You know, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. Agents are the heroes of this business. I mean, you know, without agents, you know, it would be a huge problem out there. You know, people, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just think about how many people unexpectedly passed away during COVID um, and how important the role of life insurance was to keeping families in their homes and, and on some sort of routine. And that wouldn't happen if agents weren't doing what they're doing. Um, so to me, that's that's what, what we're really trying to do is, is, is build value for them, make them feel like they have a partner. Um, because, you know, for a long time, it's it's their lives are so adversarial. <laughs> you know, they're constantly dealing with rejection and people being rude to them yeah. uh, that, uh, that that's that's really what motivates me and us mm-hmm. and our team mm-hmm. you know so Manish want to have a bit of fun with you so I'm going to give you yeah. the, key, the keys to the Matt Brown show time machine um, okay. and I'd love for you to go back to day one like when you and your other three co-founders were like hey man let's quit our quit our shit and let's get on with something that's going to mean something to the world so um, if you could go back to that that day and yeah. I could, you know, what advice would you, maybe not to your co-founders, but what advice would you give to yourself, you know, about building a plum life? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's the thing I've learned that I would tell myself is it's going to be a lot more work than things. <laughs> um, and, and to make sure you're ready. Um, 
because it's 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 the most work I've ever done. Um, and and you have to really you have to really be prepared for that and have a good support network. Like that's one of the good things is having four co-founders. Like, you know, there's always at least one or two of us that are in a much better place than the other two to lift them up. Um, so, so, you know, be ready for the tough work and, and have a support network, someone that can lift you up that says, Hey, this is going to be huge. I know we had a setback here or, or you know, let this, this month wasn't as good as last month. Maybe this whole business doesn't make sense. Like you're having these, these exaggerated doubts, right? Um, yeah. you know, uh, it's to have a good support network. Yeah, I get that. It's more like a stock market graph. Everyone seems well. A lot of people, like, especially from the outside, like if you're sitting in corporate going, hey, I've got this ambition to start a business one day, and then you, like, read TechCrunch, and you're like, oh, look, it must be a, a like a, a hockey stick graph. Yeah, you know, like, oh, startup, six months, I'm rich. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah. But meanwhile, it's one of these up and down situations. So, um, yeah. so Manish, uh, let's, let's wrap this up, man. Like, why yeah. do you do what you do? Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, for me, it's it's about making other people's lives easier. That's that's what gets me. I like I, you know, I'm in the insurance industry, um, so it, it's nothing inherently exciting about it, except for what we do, um, which is really to say to to change people's lives. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, that's that's what insurance does. I mean, not not the day they buy it, or or you know, during the whole sales process, but that one day, it's going to be there and it's going to make a difference. Um, and that's what gets me up in the morning. That's where I find the meaning. Um, it's like, you know, being part of something that's bigger than myself. Manish, it's been a, a real privilege having you here, buddy. I think, uh, it's interesting to have like a, an older founder team. I think that's really exciting. And, you know, insurance is a massive industry and it does impact people's lives. So, um, you know, I wish you well in, in the future and looking forward to all the, uh, more, the additional success that you guys are going to achieve as a team. Great. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, Manish. Thanks, everyone. Ciao, ciao. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com